did not leave us uh, in our state of sinfulness, God, that you did not leave us, that you did not abandon us, um, God, after we have turned from you, but that you pursue us, and we thank you for uh, your grace and mercy in our lives, and uh, God, we thank you that, uh, that we can be here together and that we can lift our voices to you because you alone are worthy, and uh, we just uh, want to praise you and thank you, God. Um, and so, so thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Did you guys watch this video? Let's pray. Father, we just uh, <clears throat> just want to take a moment and, uh, Father, just uh, thank you for uh, all of uh, the men and women who have uh, sacrificed uh, for our freedom, for our country. Uh, it's because of their sacrifice that we are able to freely meet here today and to, uh, to worship without fear of persecution. And so we thank you, God, for, uh, for their, their lives. We thank you, God, for their sacrifice. And, and I just want to take uh, a moment and just also lift up our, our men and women who are currently serving our country, who are sacrificing and uh, giving of themselves so that we, we might uh, have this freedom. And, and Father, we just uh, thank you for uh, their service, and we just pray, Father, that you will uh, encourage them and strengthen them, God. Um, we pray for their families, uh, that you would uh, just be with them, and uh, we pray that you would surround them with people who just encourage them and love on them, and uh, just continually show them uh, the love of Jesus. And so we thank you, God, uh, for them, and we just uh, pray your blessing over those families in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, when you came in this morning, you may have noticed the crosses uh, as you came in to the parking lot there in the grounds. Those crosses are there as uh, uh, kind of a, a, a memorial, so there are actually markers, Sharpies, I believe, out at the front, and if you walk out and you want to grab one of those and put somebody's name on one of those crosses, uh, you are welcome to do that. You can also take a flag out there and do that after the service uh, today. That'd be a great thing. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the New Testament book of Acts. 
Uh, we're going to be in Acts again this morning. We're continuing our series, uh, The Gospel Continued, and we've been in Acts for a few weeks now. If you don't have a Bible, there are pew Bibles or chair Bibles underneath the chair, maybe in the row next to you, in front of you. So if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those, and you can turn to page 885. That is where Acts chapter 4 is going to be at in those Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that Bible home with you. Uh, we just ordered some, some more, and they came in, and so we have plenty. So please, if you don't have one, uh, feel free to take that <clears throat> with you. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be. And so last week, we were in chapter 3, and chapter 3 and chapter 4 really tell one story. So chapter 3 and chapter 4 go together. Uh, Last week in chapter 3, we saw that Peter and John, Peter and John are two of Jesus' disciples, and we see them together a lot in the Scriptures. And they're on their way to the temple uh, to pray, and as they're going, they see this this man who has been lame since birth, and we find out in chapter 4 that this man is over 40 years old. And so they heal this man. And uh, it draws a crowd, and so Peter begins to preach a gospel message, which he tends to do, as we've seen through the book of Acts already. And uh, ultimately, what he's doing in this message is he's pointing back to the miracle. And he's showing that this miracle is a picture of salvation. And it's also a picture of when God is going to restore all things and make things right. And so in chapter 4, what we get is uh, we see the experience, these disciples in the church experience their first bit of persecution. And so there's no question that as you read through chapter 4, one of the major things that kind of popped out at me as I read this past week is uh, is boldness. It's it's a major theme in chapter 4, and and we see that in verse 13 uh, where it says that uh, they, they being the religious leaders, and you're going to see that in just a moment, uh, saw the boldness of Peter and John. Uh, we see it in verse 29 where the believers are together and they pray for boldness. And then finally we see it as kind of an exclamation point to verse 31 where it says they continue to speak the word of God uh, with Boldness, boldness, right? That's kind of the word for today. I told first service that uh, growing up I used to, and this is way back, okay? I just want to clarify that real quick. Growing up way, way, way back, uh, Pee Wee Herman, right? Remember Pee Wee? Before he kind of went off the rails, right? You older, you you younger people are like, Pee Wee Herman, who's that? But uh, remember he used to have the word of the day? You guys remember that? Yeah, so boldness is the word of the day. Are we good? Do we need to stand up and do something like calisthenics or something to get waking up here? We can do it. All right. So, so boldness is the theme, right? That's, that's, that's the thing. And, and um, now we, we use the word boldness today, especially like in our society and our culture. Uh, we we kind of describe it more as like somebody has a personality trait or, or characteristic in someone. Uh, for instance, we might say that he or she showed boldness in their leadership. Or we might say, uh, we might think that boldness has something to do with, with something inside of us, right? For instance, you might tell someone, hey, just, just be bold, man. You can do it. Just kind of dig deep within yourself, and, and you can do it. But this is not the, the kind of boldness that is described here in chapter 4 of Acts that came from Peter and John. This, this was no personality trait. This is uh, no characteristic of theirs. Uh, 
this is, this is not a type of boldness where Peter and John are, are digging deep within themselves and they're trying to manufacture this, this, this boldness on their own. Uh, but, but this was something that is God directing. It, it is divinely driven type of boldness. And the question is, is where does this boldness come from? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. This is Holy Spirit boldness. Holy Spirit boldness. That's the title of the sermon today, Holy Spirit boldness. And boldness is an important word in Acts, and it describes it it as a spirit-inspired courage and confidence to speak in spite of circumstances, in spite of dangers or threats around you. Uh, That's a Holy Spirit kind of boldness that we're talking about today. And so the question that I want to simply explore today is this, how can we experience this Holy Spirit boldness in our lives? How can we experience this Holy Spirit boldness in our lives? Now, let me just throw this out there to you before we even get started, uh, just so we're on the same page, okay? If you are here this morning and you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have said, I trust Jesus for salvation, uh, what he did for me on the cross, he paid the penalty for my sins. If that's you this morning and you have made that confession of faith, then you are here this morning and you have the Holy Spirit in you. Okay? And, and, and the Holy Spirit that is in you is the same Holy Spirit that we see in Peter and John. Okay? So as we walk through this and we talk about this Holy Spirit boldness and how we can experience this in our own lives, you know, don't sit there and think, well, it was different in Jesus' day, the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit. Right? Are we clear on that? All right. So, so, so chapter 4 then opens uh, where chapter 3 left off. Uh, verse 1, we, we see, and as they, Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and Sadducees came upon them. And the wording in that text really means that they, they hurried upon them, right? They were charging after Peter and John. And I love this. It says that they were greatly annoyed. And they were greatly annoyed. It's probably a soft uh, version of, it's kind of a G-rated version. They were, they were, they were hot. They were fuming, okay? Uh, why were they hot? Why were they mad? Why were they annoyed? Well, verse 2 is going to tell us, it says, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus' name the resurrection from the dead. So they were teaching and they were proclaiming Jesus. Now, here's what we need to understand uh, about what this means back in Jesus' day. The religious leaders... The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the temple priests, all all these guys had kind of a monopoly on what took place in the temple, right? So you can imagine that as Peter and John are proclaiming this message, this crowd is kind of coming in, and you have the priests and the Sadducees, and they see all this commotion, and they hear what's going on, and they're hot, man. This is like turf war, right? This is like, hey, you're on my turf. You can't be, be teaching. You have not been authorized to teach uh, so what, what are you doing? It would be like us setting up a business without obtaining a permit to do so, right? You just kind of sit up on the side of the road, maybe you're even setting up beside another business, and you're trying to sell, and it's like, hey, what are you doing? You don't have a permit to do that. That's kind of what's happening here, right? Hey, you're not authorized to teach. So, so what are you doing? But, but secondly, and this is probably the biggest one, they're annoyed because they're preaching Jesus. Right? I mean, these, these religious leaders, they, they didn't like Jesus. That's why they had Jesus crucified. That's why they had him killed. But not only are they preaching Jesus, man, they are preaching the resurrection of Jesus. And not just the resurrection of Jesus, but the resurrection of the dead, which means anyone who has put their faith in Jesus is going to 
be raised from the dead and live with him for eternity. Amen? And that's, that's huge. That's a big problem. Because the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Right? That, that's why they are called Sadducees. Right? That never gets old. Never gets old. I love it. Okay. So, so they're angry, and in the middle of all this commotion, they had Peter and John arrested. And I love this. Man. What's awesome is Luke, who is writing this, uh, tells us in verse 4 that 5,000 men came to faith that day. So if you think about this, right, so, so 3,000 people in chapter 2, 5,000 right here, that's 8,000 just men, not counting women and children. So already, man, you see uh, within just a, a few days here that the church is exploding. The church is exploding. But what I love about this verse is that it says that, that Peter and John were taken off to jail and then 5,000 men came to faith in Jesus. Right? They, they, they witnessed what just happened and they weren't like, hey, wait a minute, we just saw them being hauled off to jail, and they love Jesus, so maybe we ought to just kind of not do this thing, right? No, 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 they, they said, hey, we, we want to identify with Jesus, and in spite of opposition, in spite of persecution, the gospel continues to advance, and you're going to see that throughout the book of Acts. It, it's, it's awesome. But verse 5 tells us that the next day, uh, Peter and John are brought before this Jewish high council. And you can see there in verse 5, they list all these people. And really, it's, it's known as what's called the Sanhedrin. Okay, that's, that's what it's called. And it would be like our Supreme Court today, right? So you have, it was made up of like 72 members, and they sat in this like half circle. And then you would stand kind of in the middle, and you would have to face this group of people. It would be like the, the Sadducees would be there. The high priest Annas would be, was there. He's mentioned there. And, uh, and they're the most powerful Jews in all of Israel. I mean, these are the very same men who just had uh, Jesus put to death a couple months earlier. And this would have been an intimidating situation for Peter and John. And they ask Peter in verse 7, they said, By what power or by what name did you do this? I want you to notice that they didn't even mention the name Jesus, and they didn't even, they didn't even uh, mention the miracle. I mean, I, we find out later on that, that the lame man who had been healed is actually standing right there beside Peter and John. So not only are Peter and John arrested, but they take this lame man who had been healed, and he's standing there, and they say, by what power? Right? They, they, they see the man standing, and they don't even say, they say what happened. They just acknowledge it. They just say, hey, what, by what power did you do this? And verses 8 and 10, let's read that together because these are key verses. It says, then Peter, filled with the... Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Now, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but Peter likes to say that phrase, right? Whom you crucified. Already we've heard it multiple times. Whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. I love this, man, because Peter finally nails it. He finally gets it right. Because just two months earlier, Peter had denied Christ three times to a servant girl. And now, here he is before the most powerful 
Jews in all of Israel, the same people who had Jesus put to death, and he is saying, hey, look, you crucified Christ. That's Holy Spirit boldness right there, right? Like, that's not Peter just digging, digging deep and saying, okay, I'm going to be bold here. You know, that, that is Holy Spirit boldness, right? He, he, he didn't shriek back. He didn't, he didn't kind of dance around the subject. He didn't say, well, guys, you know, maybe, maybe that wasn't. He, he didn't do any of that, right? He didn't water anything down. He doesn't tell them what they want to hear, but with boldness, he says, hey, listen to me. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. This man has been healed. But, man, it gets even better. Right, look at verse 11. I mean, Peter is getting bold here. He quotes, in verse 11, he quotes an Old Testament verse, Psalm 118, 22, and he says, this is what it says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. That's very significant because it's a prophecy not only that Jesus will be rejected, but that he's going to be rejected by the builders, which are the leaders, the elders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, um, who Peter and John are standing before, right? They're the leaders of the nation. Right now, the cornerstone is probably one of the most important, it is the most important piece when constructing a building, right? Because if you don't get the cornerstone right that makes everything kind of level, then the foundation is not going to be sound and it's going to fall apart. And, and Jesus is that cornerstone, right? If you don't build on that cornerstone, then everything else falls. But what's interesting here is that verb rejected in that verse. It indicates that the builders, which are the religious leaders, actually considered the stone. It, they actually examined the stone, but after a while... They said, you know what, we're going to reject the stone because it's not worthy to be in the building. Do you see the implications here, right? It's, it's like the religious leaders examined Jesus. They, they looked at Jesus, and he's not the Messiah. He's not the one. And so they rejected him, and they crucified him. They were unwilling to surrender to the chief cornerstone. And, and it doesn't stop there. I mean, let's, listen, Peter is on a roll here. Verse 12 he delivers the knockout blow, right? That, that was kind of a right hook, and this is the uppercut, and they're going down. And this is what he says. He says, and there is no salvation. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I mean, this, this is Holy Spirit boldness right here, right? The lame man, the lame man was healed in the name of Jesus, the same Jesus that you rejected and that you had crucified. It's the same Jesus that God raised from the dead. And it's in his name and his name only that salvation is available. If these men, if these religious leaders, these, 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 these high and mighty men, if they were going to be saved, they must repent and confess Jesus. They must humble themselves because salvation is found only in Jesus. Now listen, the, the these guys are not happy about this. They're, they're, they're probably fuming right now. As a matter of fact, uh, we know that a uh, that, that few verses down, they're, they're threatening them. They're saying, hey, don't speak uh, of Jesus anymore. And, and they threaten him. And um, the reality for us this morning is this, man. The message of the cross, the message of the gospel is offensive. I mean, Peter just stood up there and said, hey, you crucified Christ. You rejected Jesus. And, and here's the thing for us this morning. You see, the gospel, I say this, I say, I, the gospel is good news. 
The gospel is good news, but before it can be good news, there has to be that bad news first. Right? The, the reason it's good news is because there's bad news. Right? The reason the gospel is offensive is because it tells us the hard truth of just how bad our situation is apart from Jesus. You see, we can sit here and say, man, as religious leaders, they're, they're, they're guilty. They, they rejected Jesus. But, but here's the thing. You and I are just as guilty because we have rejected God. Romans 3.23 says that every single person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, we have rejected. We have turned from God in rebellion. We have decided we're going to go our own way, right? We, we, have, we have done that. Romans 3, uh, 10, and 12, 10 through 12, Paul is writing, and he says these words. He says, there is no one who is righteous, not, even, not one person. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now, that's pretty harsh. That could be offensive. And I know that's not a popular message today in our culture because, right, we live in a society where, like, you know, oh, that's a good person. You're a good person, you know. But by whose standard are we, are we judging that on, right? You see, the problem is, is when we start comparing ourselves to other people and we start saying, well, you're a good person, we're comparing ourselves to other broken people, right? See, God and God alone is good. And God and God alone is holy and righteous. And He is holy and righteous in all His ways. God has never had a wrong thought. He has never done a wrong deed. He is completely right in all that He does. And we are the complete opposite of that. We have despised His righteousness. We have looked at it and we have turned from it. We have, we have wrong thoughts. We speak wrong words. Every single person fails to live up to the moral standard that God requires. And that's a tough message. Right? Holiness has everything to do with what sets God apart from us and makes Him different from us. And because of our sin against a holy and righteous God, that makes us guilty. But not only guilty, it makes us condemned before a holy and righteous God. We are lost. And the reality of our fallen nature makes, uh, makes this really, really bad news. Right? I mean, listen, this is what people just, they don't, they don't see how bad it is. We're not just down, we're out. And so if that's not offensive enough, right, then Peter goes on to say, hey, listen, there, there is no salvation in, in no one else except Jesus. So not only are you sinners that are due God's wrath because of His holiness and because of His righteousness, but there is only one way for salvation. I mean, that, that can be offensive, right? I mean, that's not a popular message today in our culture. Because who are we as Christians to claim exclusivity on salvation? Who are we to say that Jesus is the only way? I mean, how do we know that? How can we be so sure about that? I mean, listen, it is very popular today to believe, hey, believe whatever you want to believe, whatever, whatever religion you want to believe, because it's kind of like getting to the top of the mountain, right? There are different paths. Just go whichever path makes you happy. You know, do, do your own thing. And, and here's, here's the truth. Here's the reality. If you studied every religion out there outside of Christianity, if you studied every religion, you would find that they all have a, sim, a similar uh, similarity, fundamental similarity. 
And that fundamental similarity is this. How do we get close to God? How do we appease gods if there's many of them, right? How do we we get on the God's good side, right? If if they're an atheist, if they don't believe in a God, then then it's the same concept, right? How how, how do we improve ourselves, right? How How do we find... Uh, uh, within ourselves to make ourselves better. I mean, you know how many self-help books are out there? Bazillions. Bazillions. How, how do I make me better? How, how, do, how can I find a way to improve myself? Or, or it's how can I find approval with God, right? Every other religion, listen, is, is, is about you reaching up to God, or are you reaching within yourself to be a better person? And we're doing all the work. Even the religious leaders that Peter is talking to, right, they, they were about the law, the Old Testament law, Moses, you know, the Ten Commandments, all that, right? They, they, they put these heavy burdens on people because they said, hey, listen, if you can follow these rules, then you can get close to God. Then God will love you and he will accept you. How many people today believe that? Right? How, many, how many people that you know that, that, that just constantly are, are beating themselves up because they can't live up to a certain standard that people have put on them because they're trying to earn approval from God by works? That's why the gospel is good news. Because Jesus has done the good, he has done the work for you. Right? The, the, he has done the work on our behalf. It's not about us reaching up. Right? I mean, we just read, right? None, none of us even seek after God. We've all turned aside, it's, but rather it's about God pursuing you. It's about God coming down to us. That's why the gospel is good news, because we were lost. We were separated from God. We were condemned to, to hell. And, and God pursues us through Jesus Christ. He left heaven. He came to earth, and He lived a life that we could not live. He obeyed perfectly in our place and he died the death that we should have died he died in our place he was our substitute he took all of our sin he took all the punishment that was due us all of God's wrath his holy just wrath towards sin was poured out on Jesus on the cross and he did that in our place second Corinthians five twenty one. for our sake he made him for our sake God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. What that means is, is that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus gives you his righteousness. So when I stand before God, he doesn't see dirty heart Aaron. He sees Jesus. Amen? I mean, that is good news. But here's the thing, man. We've, we've got to see the bad news first. Like, if we don't ever see our need, uh, if we don't see how bad our situation is, we're never going to see our need for a Savior. I mean, until we see that we're lost, until we see, able to see our sinful nature, until we're able to see our, our dirty hearts, we will not see our need for Jesus. Tim Keller, I, I like what he writes. I'm, uh, he, he writes this about the gospel. He says, the gospel is this. He says, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, right? So you can sit there and say, think about all the things, right? Uh, and, and just, you're even worse than that. You know what I'm saying? He says, it, said, the gospel is, it says that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. 
Man, that's awesome. That's good news. And the sad part of all this, man, when we read through this chapter 4, is verse 14, the religious leaders witness this man who's been healed standing there with Peter and John. And it says they had nothing to say in opposition. They couldn't say anything. They couldn't refute what Peter just said because here is the man. And, and here's what's crazy about this. These religious leaders have walked in and out of that temple every single day, and they have seen that man laying there begging. And here they are. They see this miracle that's been done, and they hear this gospel message, and they're so hard-hearted that they're not willing to humble themselves and repent and confess Jesus. I mean, they see the man. I want you to think about that for a second. Because how many people are that hard-hearted, right? How many people, man, they hear this, this message, and they're just so hard-hearted, they, 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 they just they don't want to humble themselves. Man, you know, maybe, maybe even here today, there's somebody who uh, just kind of going through the motions. You know, you, you come into this place week in and week out, and you kind of have a, a mask on, and you're, you know, you just you kind of going through the motions, and, and maybe you just need to humble yourself and admit that your need for Jesus. Maybe you're trying to, to do things on your own. And I would encourage you today, man, to, to, to not harden your heart towards the gospel message. So verse 23 tells us that Peter and John and the man healed are released and, and they reported to the other believers what had been said. And they're, so they're in their homes, I'm assuming, probably meeting together. And it says that they lifted their voices together, right? That's a, that unity, they were together to God. And the first thing they did was they prayed, right? And they prayed that they see a total dependence on God rather than on themselves, and that is so important, man, because I think sometimes we, we, we try to do things in our own strength and our own power, right? We try, to, we try to dig deep within ourselves and try to do things, and, and the reality is, man, we, we, can't, we can't manufacture this stuff in our own strength. In the verse 29, it says, they prayed, this is what they prayed, they said, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants safety. Is that what they say? Is that what they pray? Wait a minute, I'm sorry. Grant, now look, look upon their threats and grant your servants protection. Is that it? Oh, it's on the screen. Now look, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Boldness. And then, listen, there's nothing wrong with praying for safety and protection. I'm not dissing that. I'm just making a point here. But, but then it's speaking about in the verse 31. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the, uh, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Regardless of circumstances, regardless of threat, of danger, regardless of, of whatever was going on around them, they prayed for boldness. You know, one of the things that I find uh, just extraordinarily fascinating is the fact that you, you have Christians on the other parts of the world who are literally being persecuted just as they were persecuted in Acts, and, and, and they lose their life uh, for Christ. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people in, in other parts of the world are actually meeting in church uh, 
in secret. Uh, they called it underground church. And you see this as, as you read stories and you hear stories of missionaries and the things they share. You, you see this, this total dependence that they have on God because they know that they can't do this in their own strength. They can't have that, that type of boldness. It, it is Holy Spirit boldness. And yet, and yet the, the church in other parts of the world where they're being persecuted, the underground church, it's exploding. I mean, the gospel is advancing. People are coming to, to know Jesus and Groves is crazy. But that's what you see here in Acts. I mean, as we walk through this book, you're going to see that the more that the church is persecuted, the more it grows. <laughs> right? Because there's a reliance, a dependence on God. I mean, this was not a human engineering type of boldness. This wasn't a character or personality trait from, from within. I mean, come on, Peter, before before. Before he got the Holy Spirit, dude, he, he was weak. This wasn't a dig deep within yourself and try to muster up boldness to be a witness for Jesus. I mean, we can't do it in our own strength. This is Holy Spirit boldness. And the same Holy Spirit that lived in them is the same Holy Spirit that lives in us. Now, you know, I, I could sit here and I could say, you know what, guys, Let's just be like Peter and John. Let's, let's, let's leave here today, man. Let's have this Holy Spirit boldness. We can do it. Let's, let's do it, right? I, I could say that. I could, I could maybe give you a guilt trip about being a witness for your neighbor. Um, but if I did that, man, that, that would be a, it'd be a disservice. That would be a horrible sermon is what that would be. So I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to point you to the gospel. So I want to give you three things here. How, how do we obtain Holy Spirit boldness. Three quick things here. You can jot them down. Very practical, although you may not like them because, again, it's just pointing you to the gospel, but, but here they are. How do we obtain Holy Spirit boldness? When you experience in your own life the joyful effects of the gospel, when you come to that point in your life when you realize that I am more sinful and I am more flawed than I could have ever imagined, but yet at the same time, I am more loved and accepted by Christ. That does something. <laughs> that does something. That changes you from the inside out. That gives you boldness for witness. When you've experienced gospel change in your heart, it is hard to keep it quiet. Verse 19 of chapter 4, notice what Peter says. He says, They've told him, say, hey, we want you to stop speaking in Jesus' name. He says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They couldn't keep it quiet. They're like, hey, man, this has changed our life. Jesus has changed our life. We cannot help but speak about these things. And here's the beautiful thing, right? But Peter and John, they weren't, they weren't being a bold witness because they were trying to earn God's love and acceptance. They already had God's love and acceptance, right? And so that love and acceptance was a natural outflow of them being a bold witness. See, I think sometimes we get that. That's where I think we, we stumble because we think, man, if I do this, if I do that, then God's going to love me and accept me. Listen to me. The gospel good news is that God already loves and accepts you in Jesus Christ. Once you get that in, your, in, in our minds and in our hearts, then the natural outflow is, hey, I want to share what, what Christ has done for me. That, 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 that's, that's, that's the beautiful nature of the gospel. The second thing is this. It's kind of similar, but the gospel gives us both humility and boldness. The gospel gives both humility 
and boldness at the same time. The gospel humbles us because we recognize that we are sinners saved by God's grace and not by our goodness. Right? Therefore, that is the humbling nature of the gospel. Right? We don't ever approach someone with superiority. We don't, ever, we don't ever go to someone and act as if we are superior because we know that we are just like them. We're sinners. The only difference is we're saved by grace, right? And they can too. So we don't go to somebody. That's, that's the humbling nature of the gospel, right? We always see people that never see people with superiority, but we always look at them the same way we are, right? But then it gives us boldness at the same time. Boldness because we know that uh, regardless of, of what happens, right, we have love and acceptance from God. Who cares what other people think? That's what Peter's saying here. He's saying, listen, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you be the judge. But we can't help but speak of this, right? We have the king of the universe who loves and accepts us. What do I care what you think? Not only the boldness of that, of the love of Christ, but man, the boldness in the message that they have here. Right? This is the power of salvation, the gospel is. It's changed people's lives. And so they have that, that boldness, and so it gives humility and boldness at the same time. What, what, what this does is, is, it, is, it, is it prevents us from just kind of going out and, and, and seeing people as evangelism cases, you know? Like, I'm just going to go out and just win people for the Lord. But rather, it helps you to see people as Christ sees them. It helps you to see people as broken as you are. It creates that, that, that humility in you to want to wanna build that relationship with people. And not just go out and say, hey, turn or burn. You know what I'm saying? But, but yeah, build that. You see what I'm saying, right? I mean, you want to build that relationship. That's, that's the humbling part of the gospel. But then you have that boldness to know that, hey, if they reject you, that's okay. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. Yeah, I, I'll share this, man. I shared it at first service. And I, I said at first service, I always kind of hesitate to share stories like this. Um, because I don't want you guys to think that... Uh, that this is something that, uh, that I do all the time. Because I, I fail more at this than... than in, then I succeed, I guess I should say. But, but a couple of weeks ago, Robin and I were out to eat. Um, we, didn't, we were kidless, praise the Lord. And, uh, and so we went to, to this restaurant, Brew. It's down the street here, down Route 10, and it's a great place to eat. And so we were in there, and there was absolutely nobody else in there except for one young girl. And uh, she was at the bar, and she was talking very loud. You know what I'm saying? Like, you could hear everything that she was saying. And we hadn't been in there three minutes, three minutes. And I overheard her, and she, she was saying something about how she had gotten excommunicated from the Jehovah Witness Church and how she had kind of lost her faith and, she, and all these different things. And I, I looked at Robin, and I just kind of got, I was like, hey, we got to share the gospel with this girl. And Robin looked at me, and she said, hey, if you feel led by the Holy Spirit to do that, let's do it. I said, we're going we're to do it, <laughs> you know, and so, um, and so a few minutes passed by, you know, I'm kind of waiting for the opportunity, and she turns around, I, I motion for her to come over to our table, and it's funny, it's one of those moments where she looked back like me, I'm like, yes, you, and so she comes over, and we introduce ourselves uh, to her, and then I just start asking her questions, and this is kind of part of what I'm saying, like, there's no superiority here, there's no like, hey, you know, you need to, I, I, I start asking questions, like, okay, so what, I heard you talking about being excommunicated from Jehovah Witness, and, you know, what's your background? Uh, just, just wanted to get to know her a little bit and her story, introduce ourselves to her. And, uh, and through that, man, we, we were able to hear what she said, and then we were able to share the gospel with her. And she's just a young 22-year-old girl who needs Jesus, just like I need Jesus, just like Robin needs Jesus. And so, man, she, we've invited her to church, and, 
and uh, we know where she works. So I said, if you don't, if you don't show up in church, I said, I'm going to come to your workplace, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and I'll do it. You know I'll do it, right? Um, so, so anyway, I, I say that to say, man, listen, I, I fail at that more times than, than I succeed, but the, the point is, man, like, I could not do that. It's Holy Spirit boldness, right? I, I, there's no way. That, that that would happen, and so you just you see opportunities there, man. You can do that in your own neighborhood, man. We, we we've said this. You, you you practice hospitality, invite your neighbors over for dinner, and just begin to get to know them, right? And just just have conversations and allow the gospel to 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 to, to come out. And then the third, finally, this this last one here is finally, uh, we can experience Holy Spirit boldness by being with Jesus. I love verse thirteen. Look at verse 13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. And, and by the way, it's too, too, too much for me to explain here, but they weren't, they weren't uneducated in the sense of like they didn't have any schooling. Uh, that's not what they meant. But it says that they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Isn't that awesome? I love that. that, that that's it, man. I, I, listen, I said at the beginning, right, that, that we have the same Holy Spirit in us as they had in them, correct? You guys believe that? But, but you notice throughout the chapter it says a couple times, what, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. We all have the Holy Spirit in us. But, but, but that statement says that they, they, they noticed that they had been with Jesus. The more you are with Jesus, the more you are in his word the more that you are learning the truth of the gospel, the more that you are preaching the gospel to yourself, that you are one of his children, that you are loved and accepted by him, the more that you are getting that into your heart, the more that you are spending time in prayer, the more that you are spending time in community with others, learning and growing in your faith, the more you are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's just, that's just the way it is. The more, the more time you spend with Jesus, the more that's going to come out in your life. It's going to just flow. The gospel is going to flow out of your life. People are going to look and say, man, what's different about you? What's changed? I got the Holy Spirit. You might not want to say, you might not want to say that. <laughs> it might freak Depending on, you know, but you know, saying like that, that's, that's the thing. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Okay, if not, we can go back through this again. I'm just kidding. Let's, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this chapter. We thank you for, um, God, again, just the way that you love us and pursue us. Um, Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've given us. And I just pray, God, that, uh, man, that, that as we come to a time of response, that if there is someone here that has never placed their faith and trust in you, God, I pray that they would do that today. I pray that, uh, man, if there's someone here that just, Maybe their heart's a little hardened. Maybe they've gone down a path. Maybe they're just going to go through the motions. Uh, God, they just need to simply uh, turn back to you and confess and repent. God, I pray that you would just give them, um, just help them to be able to do that, God. And know that there's freedom in that. There's freedom in the gospel. And so, Father, I just uh, thank you. I thank you for your grace and mercy. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. And the prayer team uh, is going to be available uh, up front and some in the back. If you're here and you are struggling and going through a difficult time, um, and I just encourage you to, to let them pray for you. And uh, they would love to do that. If you're here this morning 
And, uh, man, you want to know more about Jesus and how to give your life to him, uh, I'll be up front here. I would love to talk to you. And let me just say this, man. Uh, Royal uh, and Dexter and I were talking about this this morning as we were praying. Uh, well, one of the things about the gospel is we, we look at confession. Like, we, we have these things that our hearts uh, that, that we know are just kind of there, and are, we got dirty hearts, and we're like, man, if somebody knew that about me, they would just think that I was a horrible person. And that may be true, whatever. Uh, but, but here's the thing. Here, here's the good news about the gospel, right? The, the gospel, because Jesus died on the cross, he's already outed you. Right, so, so confession, there's actually freedom in confession. Right? Jesus dying on the cross has already outed us. Like, he, you're, you're a sinner. We, we know that already. There's nothing you're hiding. And so, man, just confess, whatever it is. Just be, let it go, and then there's freedom in that. There's, like, walk in that, that you've been forgiven. And you don't have that. Like, you're not trying to hide that. You know, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Do you see how that's freeing? The gospel's freeing. So let's stand and sing this song together. Come on. Mm-hmm.